Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Next Guest Is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we find out what really makes them tick. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is today's next guest? The next guest lives and breathes marketing. Host of Australia's number one marketing podcast, The Small Business Big Marketing Show, awarded Australia's best business and marketing podcast at the 2018 Australian Podcast Awards. He is described as a practical business marketing speaker, travelling the globe, showing business owners, marketers and their employees how to embrace the modern world of marketing. Having just recently recorded his 500th episode, we hope our humble podcast lives up to his expectations. Please welcome our next guest, Tim Reid. Oh, Carson, I could not have written that better myself. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And hello, Michael. First question first, Tim, and it's a hard one, but you've probably been asked it before. How do you sell ice to Eskimos? <laughs> and, and inherent in that is probably a real question that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. How do you sell to someone who perhaps doesn't think that they want to buy? How do you sell to someone who thinks they don't want to buy? <clears throat> well, I don't think I'd want to do that, number one, but B, uh, I think anything in regards to selling is about developing a relationship, and that's why I love marketing, because marketing is sort of the prelude or the, or the foreplay that leads into sales, and they are absolutely not mutually exclusive. They, are absolute, they must work together. And probably not enough businesses recognise this, Michael, but if, if it was me, I'd spend time developing a relationship, understanding the needs of those people that I need to sell to, uh, and over time develop trust and a familiarity and a brand, which is simply an emotional attachment, uh, and then go in for the kill. I've never heard uh, marketing described as foreplay before. Is that a, is that a term <laughs> you'll come up with, uh, Tim, yourself, or, or is that a, an actual marketing thing I missed in my marketing textbooks at school? <laughs> You, weren't, you obviously weren't paying attention. No, but I'm actually going to add that as a chunk to my keynote. I quite like that. And clearly it's already, you know, resonated with you. As soon as someone, it's, it's like when you're speaking, you know, and um, from stage and you mention a link to a website or some yeah. kind of resource and people write it down madly. And, <laughs> and it's sort of like a trigger to know that you've just shared something that resonates. And I think actually it's a really good marketing lesson. If I dare swing that back around, Carson, to say that, you know, we should always have our radar on to be listening. Yeah. to what people are responding to when we're speaking, whether it be from stage or in a workshop or MC, whatever it is, and then do more of that because clearly it's landing. Sure. Yes. Let me take you back to the early days when, well, not too early, when foreplay meant something else, but what were your early days in marketing? I have been in marketing, Michael, uh, since university where I studied it uh, at Monash and in Melbourne. And then... Um, Lucky enough to get a job in a, in a rather large advertising agency called Claremingers. Did my time in advertising. Um, left to go and cleanse my soul after about 10 years at Claremingers where I went and worked for a charity in a marketing capacity with a fellow Jim Steins who was a, a, the late Jim Steins now uh, who was, started a charity called Reach in Melbourne which helped young people at risk. And I went and worked alongside Jim for a couple of years to bring an idea that he had to life. Uh, that was awesome. And at that point, um, I realised I had to go back and make some money. So I was the marketing manager at Flight Centre, Smorgan Steel, uh, and then about, gee, 12, 13 years ago, I went out on my own, started my own business and have been in doing marketing. I, I have a particular passion for the smaller side of town, the small to medium-sized businesses, and so I've yeah. been helping them ever since. 
What, what you you use the word advertising? Then is there a difference between advertising and marketing? Michael, I hope that is a an educated question that you know the answer to already. Of course. <laughs> yes. yes, no, of course I know the answer. Absolutely. Um, if, if you look at marketing as a pie, advertising is a, is a wedge, and I would argue, and not a, not a big wedge, not a not a like majority wedge. It is a wedge of the marketing pie. Um, marketing is what you do when you can't go and see somebody. Advertising is one of those channels that allows you to do that. And uh, I think it's it is actually a good question. I knew you know, knew the answer to that. Yes, Michael, yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is it is often confused, and, and particularly again for the smaller end of town or those who haven't been educated, they think it's just advertising. But marketing can be anything from advertising to publicity to direct marketing and direct selling to networking to social media okay. to you know as we say, marketing is everything, and everything is marketing. And while we're on semantics, you mentioned brand is a feeling of something. Um, how is is brand image? How does brand fit into marketing? Yeah, great question. Uh, brand, as as I defined earlier, a brand is an emotional attachment. That's what it is. And if you can build an emotional attachment between you and those that you want to sell to, uh, they're going to be with you for a very long time. They are going to love what you do, love what you have to offer. That they are going to be less price sensitive. And what's really interesting is when someone is emotionally connected to you, and just think about this in your own personal life, it doesn't have to be a business kind of thing. Um, when, when you have an emotional connection with someone, it's much harder to sever. You know, if, mm. if you're a business trading on price, it's quite rational. And all I'm going to do as the consumer is shop around for the, cheaper, for, for, for the cheapest, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you've gone to the trouble of developing a brand and an emotional attachment, then I think you're in a much stronger position with your prospects. Tim, you mentioned advertising before and how it's a wedge of marketing, but um, advertising has changed significantly, well, as far as I see it in the last you know, decade with the, um, with, through the internet and social media and things. What do you think is the, the single biggest change that advertising has gone through? It's just moved online. You know, and it's it's much more um, it's much more accessible by businesses with very minuscule budgets. So if we go back, the change that you've noticed is that advertising, as our generation know it, Carson um, was TV. It was, it was what we call above the line TV, radio, outdoor, mm. newspapers, magazines, <laughs> expensive, um, and really reserved for those you know those big companies that. You know, your top 500 sort of companies or even less. Advertising has moved online to where, you know, you've got Facebook ads. You can, you know, you can get for a few cents a click. Google AdWords, a few cents a click, depending on what the category you're in. That said, the, the, where advertising's moved from a, a, a geographic sense, and I do that in air quotes, to online is one thing. But the fundamentals of advertising remain absolutely the same. You know, like... If we were talking back in the day, it's like, <clears throat> I want to advertise in the newspaper. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, um, you've got to do some work on the medium, like which newspaper, right-hand side, left-hand side of the page, early in the paper, later in the paper, colour, mono, you know, all those kind of rational decisions. And then you've got to make the decisions around message. What am I going to say? Am I going to include an image? Is it long-form copy, short-form copy? What's the headline? What's the call to action? All those questions apply just as equally online. Um, you know, if you're going to advertise on Facebook, to who, when, how often, mm. 
what's my headline? What's my copy? And I assume another change that you've noticed since those uni days is that that advertising wedge is smaller in the pie, in the pie of marketing, as all these other um, avenues have opened up. And, and, and as we understand more that it's about relationships and not just putting an ad in a paper. The advertising wedge, and I don't know the numbers on it, Michael, but the advertising wedge, I'm not sure would have shrunk significantly. It's just moved online. So there's, you know, I could probably argue that it's growing because now what we've got is a whole lot of businesses, mine included, a one-man show who is advertising on Facebook, who's advertising on Google AdWords, advertising on LinkedIn. So the opportunity to advertise has become um, open to a lot more businesses. And I guess that's one of the things I love and I say at the top of my keynote, which is the marketing landscape has changed so much in the past month, the past six months, certainly the past 12 months. And the exciting thing, about that change that every business owner feels is that all the changes are playing right into the hands of the smaller end of town. Mm. You know, I, you guys have got a podcast. I've got a podcast. I think that's unbelievable. Like that we, mm. as one, two, three-men show, can have our, our own show, our own mm. essentially radio show. I think it's incredible. It would it, so, be great to know how to get an audience though, Tim. That would be good. <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> You said that with a wry smile, and A, you've got an audience, um, B, you, you sort of said that in a way that suggested that you need a big audience. Yeah. Um, I'm much more, I'd much rather 100 raving fans who listen to my podcast and who buy everything that I suggest versus 1,000 yeah. that don't really care. I'm just filling their time. And, and then the other answer to that, and I'm sure we'll talk about my concept around helpful marketing at some point, which is... You'll build an audience by being helpful, by being engaging, by pulling people towards you and not pushing information on them, which is what advertising, above-the-line advertising, has done forever and a day. What would your advice be to a, a small business owner about the best channel that would work for them? Is there one that really resonates better in most small business environments? Uh, no, because it depends on your business. It depends on the business owner. <clears throat> and if we're talking particularly small business, Carson, um, my view is it's twofold. And they sort of contradict each other. One view is fish where the fish are. So if you know that your prospects are all on YouTube or all in the local paper or all going to networking events, whatever that environment is, then that's where you need to be. That's where you need to position yeah. your brand, your offer. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. But I also believe, and, and I guess I'm evidence of this with podcasting, which I've been podcasting for 11 years now, which is I sort of created that audience and you know, in, in one sense, then I've had to market my marketing. So I've gone, okay, I'm going to do a podcast at the time. Uh, not many people knew what a podcast was. But then I would market the fact that I'm doing a podcast via mm. social media, when I spoke, you know, anyone who wanted to listen. Um, and I think part of that is as business owners, and again, small end of town, choose in, in this brave new world of marketing, choose a medium that you are comfortable with some like to write some like to speak and some are happy on video you know I love the audio medium I absolutely love it yeah there's uh, there's upside to video there's also yeah. downside to video and so if you know if I say to a, if I say to a business owner you must get you must do video but they're really shy or they just they just hate the, the whatever it is mm. why force them Encourage them to do something they're comfortable with and, and become really, really proficient and good at it. 
Before we move on to uh, your life as a speaker, whether it's online or as a, um, a live guest, do expand on your helpful marketing, but also you've, among other things, written a book called The Boomerang Effect. Is it called that yeah. because people keep returning it to you? <laughs> the Boomerang Effect, I, I quite like that, Michael. May Thank I you. Use you uh, can you use know, that. At the, at the end of a keynote. Sure. As I tell everyone to race to the back of the room and buy my book, <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do that, PCOs. I promise I don't do that. Um, uh, the boomerang effect is about why being helpful in your marketing returns you more customers and makes you more money. So what I noticed many, many years ago, probably as a consumer before I even went into advertising, is that advertising by nature pushes marketing messages onto unsuspecting consumers buy now, buy soon, end of financial year, closing down sale, you know, push, push, push. And it's because by nature, when you are advertising, you have a limited amount of space. You might have a 30, you might have 30 seconds in a radio ad, you might have a quarter page in a newspaper, and that forces you to sort of cut to the chase, and the chase is buy now. Whereas with helpful marketing, what I suggest is explore these other amazing mediums, video marketing, audio marketing, blogging, social media, where we have a lot more space, uh, we have time to craft our messages and in particular to be helpful. And being helpful in marketing, A, makes sense, B, as, as, a, as a human being, being helpful is awesome. It releases dopamine into the system, which is a feel-good drug, and so it's just a good thing to do. And we love being helped and we love being helpful. And as business owners, if, there are, if those, those who are listening would want to adopt that, then the first step in generating the boomerang effect is to identify every question you have ever been asked by a prospect or a customer and go about answering each of those questions individually on your website mm. in the form of a knowledge center or a learning hub. Mm. And it would be one, this is just an easy way to get started in a helpful marketing concept. It's one question with one rich answer per page. So it's like an FAQ section on steroids. Mm. And boy, oh boy, Google love it. It's mm. awesome for one-on-one -on -one marketing and it positions you as an expert. Tim, I mentioned in the opening that you just recorded your 500th episode and uh, and having looked through some of the you know the people you've had on your show, there's an incredible array of very, very successful uh, business people. But there was one notable one, which I know took a while to get on, Seth Godin, <laughs> international marketing superstar. How did you get Seth to agree to your podcast and, and what did he share? The, the backstory to that is when I started this the small business big marketing podcast 11 years ago, one of my dream guests with Seth Godin. It's like, I've got to get the guy. I reach out to him in the early days. He says, no. I'm like, really? How dare you? Don't you know who I am? I was a no one. And um, I, I subsequently found about six months later, this is 10 years ago, um, a guest, a, a, a listener of my podcast emailed me and he said, I've just found this podcast that Seth has done. And Seth said he gets asked to be on a lot of podcasts and this is way back then. And what he said was there were, there were too many people starting podcasts, interviewing people of note and building their own personal brands off the back. Yeah. And I felt a bit offended by that. And I agreed with what Seth said, but I felt offended because I thought, I wonder if he's referring to me. I didn't think he was because I always make sure that I embellish my interviews, my discussions with guests with my own opinions. So I'm yeah. less a journalist and continue to be a marketing expert. So, okay, okay, whatever. Well, let Seth go. And then maybe six months ago, 
a listener reached out to me and he said, you know, I love what you do. I, I want to support you in any way I can. I've taken it on myself to reach out to Seth to see whether he'd be on your show. And he said, yes, here's his email address. Mind you, and he's, a clear, he's the best marketer in the world, arguably. Um, he had something to promote. He was actually coming to Australia for <laughs> live, live events. So, of course, he's going to say right. yes. His wife actually runs the most successful gluten-free bakery in New York, and Seth has had nothing to do with that. So I actually asked him at the top of the interview about that and why it's so successful. And what he said was, he said, it's successful because it's not for everyone, but it might just be for you. Mm. And what he meant by that is that own a niche and be brave enough to really just focus on that niche of people to sell to. He thinks every business needs a thousand raving fans and no more. That was really interesting. And you yeah. feel like you're going to polarize people when you do create a niche, but you're also going to develop people who absolutely love what you have to offer. So yeah. from all this knowledge that you've got over many years, both from your own experience and also touching base with other people, how did that transition go from knowing all of that and advising people to now presenting at conferences and the like? I had no idea businesses like car, like Leading Voice existed. Mm -hmm. uh, this is about, gee, I'm going to say six years ago. So one day, Michael, I was sitting outside my kid's school waiting for pickup and it was mayhem and there was traffic, traffic and kids and cars everywhere and the phone went and I thought, I'm not going to answer this. And I thought, no, I will answer it. For some reason, I asked it and there was a lady at the end of the phone and she said, you don't know me, but I've got a client that knows you and uh, they want to fly you up to Sydney and have you do a road show. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I don't know what a road show is, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Sydney if someone wants to fly me to Sydney. It turned out to be um, a large insurance company, the managing, the marketing director of which was a fan of my podcast and thought that I would be an appropriate person to do an eight-city road show. Like, you know, right. Now that I've done a lot of speaking, like an A-City Roadshow, that's like, that's just gold. Yeah, great. And, um, and so I met with the client. Uh, they said, yeah, great. We love what you do. We love what you're about. I uh, made it clear that um, I'm, I'm not a speaker. Um, oh, by the way, the lady who called was from a speaker's bureau, which I didn't know what they were either back then. Um, <laughs> big learning curve. Big learning curve. Um, you know, um, the roadshow went really well. I, of course, I had no prepared keynote. I had nothing prepared. I wasn't a speaker. I wasn't a workshop facilitator. But I took that as a sign that, hey, you know, this is just an opportunity to share what I know with people who know a little bit less than I do. And I'm going to be in service to those people. And that's a mindset that I carry on stage with me to this day. Otherwise, I would freak out. So, so what might a PCO expect now when they hire Tim Reed? What offerings do you offer? And, and here is your 60 second of marketing. <laughs> Primarily uh, a keynote speaker around the topic of helpful marketing. And uh, I do also do MC and I run workshops. And I particularly like to run workshops around things like podcasting, blogging, um, helpful marketing concepts. Uh, and what they can expect is um, pretty lively, upbeat presentation that is incredibly practical. Uh, I'm not one for theory. Um, if, if I ever uh, introduce a theory, I'll always back it up with a story, a practical case studies. And because I've interviewed so many, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of successful business owners, I have so many case studies to back things up. You know, uh, they were like this before they embarked on a marketing initiative. Uh, this is what it, this is what they did, and this is what they achieved as a result of it. So I have you know example after example after example of that. And one of the things that 
um, people say to me, Michael, around my podcast, and I think it equally applies to my speaking, is they say, why is your podcast the most successful marketing podcast in Australia? I actually personally think there are better marketing podcasts in Australia. But what I, what I pride myself on is finding that intersection between educating people and entertaining them. I can't educate 100%. I just personally find that boring. And I can't entertain 100% because I'm not a stand-up comedian. So, but if I can find that sweet spot by, hey, here's a point, business owners in the audience, that I would love you to understand around your marketing, and I'll back it up with a story and a little bit of a smile. It won't necessarily be a belly laugh, but it might just be a little smile that helps them remember it. And that's what PCOs can expect by booking me. Ridiculously clever marketing ideas that built amazing businesses. So there's 10 of these ideas that you share in your keynote, Tim. Do you want to yeah. share a couple of those? Uh, what, one that comes to mind, which I absolutely love, and I think as wacky as it is, I think it's very achievable. It's product demonstrations on steroids. So I came across this guy, Tom Dixon, a few years ago, and Tom is an engineer. He's a dyslexic engineer, and he loves inventing things. He owns a company called Blendtec, which create, which manufacture all those blenders that you see in Boost Juices all around mm. Australia, um, and he's actually based in Texas. And Tom, in order to sell his blenders, created a YouTube channel called Will It Blend? <laughs> and on Will It Blend, Tom wears a white lab coat with the safety goggles. Um, he looks like a, a complete mad scientist. And he blends everything from iPads to hockey pucks <laughs> to any uh, glow sticks. And he stands there at the top of the, each, each little YouTube video and he goes, it's Tom Dixon from Will It Blend? And today we are going to blend an iPhone XS. And the big question is, Will it blend? How ironic that he's taken the idea of six steak knives and used them as cutting <laughs> utensils to promote his blenders. <laughs> That's right. Now, what I love about that is that, A, those blenders, actually, everything he suggests he's going to blend, it blends. So it, it, <laughs> it actually proves just how good these blenders are. Right. But it puts such emotion and a smile around what is an incredibly dry topic. Some of the other things I share in that keynote is, you know, there was, a, there was a series of radio commercials by Dan Presser from Sunraysia Prune Juice, like prune juice, mm. right? And he, who likes That'll prune blend. juice? <laughs> yeah, we'll blend. They can have it. Um, but he, he created a series of radio commercials over the years that created a multi-million dollar brand of prune juice. And, you know, understanding that creative strategy behind that marketing. Like, there's another example of a roast chicken guy who owns a roast chicken shop in the outer Melbourne suburbs who uses Facebook Live so incredibly cleverly. There's an there's a electrician with a 21-step customer uh, mantra that I share. It's my most popular podcast episode ever. So just right. lots and lots of practical ideas that, that businesses in the audience can implement immediately. Yeah, fantastic. Tim, unfortunately, our time has come to an end. Oh, Great Michael. meeting you. It's fantastic that you've put your experience and your passion and your desire from those years of working with the top brand manufacturers and then touching base with so many success stories and getting those nuggets, putting it all together and creating the Tim Reed brand. It's absolutely fantastic. If you could just perhaps in the future um, work with us on our marketing, we'd very much appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing okay. Well done on having a podcast, by the way. There's not enough of them. Thanks, Tim. 
there's two places I want to send you to find out more about Tim. One is his podcast, which is spoken a bit about in this interview, which is the Small Business Big Marketing Show. And the second is, of course, his website, uh, where you'll find all things Tim Reed, and that is timreed.com.au. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope, with our next guest is... More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.